This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 115. I recorded this episode with my friend Casey from Joyful Courage podcast. Uh, I was over on her podcast back in January. If you haven't tuned into that yet, I talk about coping specifically with older kiddos. So make sure you check that out, Joyful Courage podcast. But I brought Casey on to chat about teens and positive discipline uh, from tiny humans to teens. And what does that look like? We recorded this episode before we were in the corona pandemic scenario. Because we're talking about teens here, I want to note that if you have an older kiddo who is struggling through coronavirus and the adjustment of expectations, maybe disappointment in things that they were hoping to do that are canceled, that they don't get to do right now. I want to chat about that for a second before we dive into this episode, because it is so important that we have compassion for them right now. I know that that field trip or the concert or the birthday party or whatever, the graduation, right? Like some of these things for us feel like, oh, that's a big deal. And other ones might feel like that's not a big deal. I want to remind you, it's not our job to decide whether or not they should have a feeling. If they're feeling disappointed or frustrated or sad or angry No matter what feeling they're experiencing, they are experiencing it. It is real. Empathy and compassion is not about deciding whether or not they should feel it. It's about choosing to show up with them and hold space for that feeling and letting them know, man, it really stinks. Because if you know what disappointment feels like, Man, we had to reschedule mama's getaway from the end of April to the end of September. And there are moms who had been planning to come to this for months. Moms who had found childcare for their kids, who had prioritized this. Some moms who had never been away, and this was their first weekend they were going to be able to be away, who can't make the September date. 
we have been navigating disappointment after disappointment over here. And it's not anybody's job to decide whether or not those moms who can't come should feel disappointed. It's not your job to decide if somebody should have a feeling. You get to show up and empathize with them when they do. We raise empathetic, compassionate humans by showing up for those people with empathy and compassion. We show them that it is not their job to decide whether or not somebody should have a feeling that we can still show up and empathize with what they're feeling. Let's model that for all of our kiddos, including our older kiddos who are probably pretty bummed right now, letting them know that you don't know how to solve this problem and you don't know what the future holds and that it's okay to feel upset. You're there to sit with them in the disappointment without trying to solve that problem. You're there if they need a hug. You're there for coping support. You're there for them. It's okay for them to feel this hard thing and it's a bummer to not know how it's gonna end and what the future holds right now. Let's hold space for all of our kiddos and ourselves for those giant feelings of unknown and disappointment. You guys, we are on Monday going to host two Tiny Humans Big Emotions workshops. I was supposed to be in person doing these workshops throughout the country in April and in May. And since those are canceled, I wanted to bring it online so that people still have access to this information. We are doing a sliding scale payment for the Tiny Humans Big Emotions, and we're just offering two times. We're doing this one day, two times, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can head to tinyhumansbigemotions.com if you want to snag one of those spots. Again, tinyhumansbigemotions.com to join us live on Monday. All right, friends, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today, I get to hang out with my friend Casey. And we met because I got to be on her podcast, Joyful Courage. And we became fast friends. And I needed to have her over here at Voices of Your Village to talk about a group of humans that we don't talk about very often. Today, we get to dive in with Casey to talk about teens and those preteens and those older humans. So often we're talking about tiny humans. And Casey, I'm so glad you're here to dive into this with me, babe. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. And those tiny humans will eventually become not so tiny. So I am thrilled to talk about it. Oh, is that what happens to all of them? Yeah, my 14-year-old is uh, (laughs) 6'3". 
So literally, not tiny. <laughs> Tall jeans over there. <laughs> awesome. Casey, will you tell our crew a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got here? Of course. So my name is Casey O'Rourke, and I was a school teacher turned parent educator when I had my kids. Um, yeah, I am a positive discipline trainer. When mine were one and four, I became, I found positive discipline and I went through their two-day intensive parent education program and quickly realized how powerful the work was going to be inside of my own family. We had some dynamics showing up that mirrored some of the parenting that I received and definitely did not want to repeat. So I knew that it was time to add to my toolbox. And I was already facilitating parenting classes and um, just wanted to find out more and learning about positive discipline. It was such a different kind of program, a different foundation for behavior and parenting. It comes from the work of Alfred Adler, who, you know, most of us were raised with this punishment reward system. Like if we can rein them in with consequences and then keep them there with rewards, somehow they'll walk this straight and narrow path. And positive discipline is really about it's relationship forward, right? So it's all about relationship. It's about supporting our kids in their sense of belonging and significance, because that's when we show up as our best, when we have a really healthy um, experience of being connected to other people, family, obviously, as well as knowing that we matter, right? And so that was a big mindset shift. Um, and it continues to be as I move into the teen years, my kids are now 17 and 14. My 17 year old is my daughter. She is my teacher without a doubt. My 14 year old is my son. He is like the poster child for positive discipline works, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I started facilitating classes in 2007. In 2014, I went through a life coach program because so many people wanted to work one on one with me, and I just knew that that was another basket of skills that I wanted to develop in myself. Um, yeah. And then a year later, I started my own podcast, which you were on, like you mentioned, episode 217. And um, yeah, and I just haven't looked back since. And what I found moving into the teen years was, you know, positive parenting, peaceful parenting, whatever you want to call this, like, new wave of parenting. It felt like uh, really logical and quote, easy-ish in the glory years of like zero to 12. And then when we moved into the tween and teen years, I was feeling a little unstable because <laughs> brain development. <laughs> I was like, what the <laughs> and so I found that the conversations I wanted to be having about teenagers, like the really real conversations weren't available to me. And so last year I did a, um, a summit. I did a summit called Parenting Teens with Positive Discipline. I invited trainers and lead trainers from the positive discipline community to come on. And my, my rule was... I only want to talk to people who have teenagers or have lived through it. 
And I only want to talk to people who had a tough time, right? Who had kids that were getting into typical teen or not so typical teen behavior. I didn't want to talk about like, well, if you create this amazing foundation at the beginning, the teen years are easy because that is bullshit. A, the teen years are not easy. They're not a nightmare either. They're a both and, <laughs> right? And so my work as a coach, regardless of, of the age of the kids, of the parents who I'm talking to, it's always about, yes, I have tools and strategies and language that help with the, um, the parenting, but ultimately the work is how can we grow ourselves as humans, ourselves, meaning parents to be in response to whatever shows up with our kids, because you can't really, I mean, you can have your narrative about what it's going to look like and how it's going to be. And, um, more likely than not, that narrative will be interrupted. And so how do we be with our kids on their journey, our teenagers on their journey in a way that is supportive, that sends the message of, I love you. I care about you. You matter to me. And really recognizing too, that they're on their own journey, right? Like they're on their own journey. And yes, we are leaders. Yes, we are guides. And yes, we have got to step off of the, um, out of the, the pilot seat and become a co-pilot. And even that, like, like not even side by side, sometimes we need to actually be a little bit behind and really let our kids, um, navigate the world that they create. So, and it's really hard to do, especially for someone like me who is slightly controlling and I have the answer for everything. <laughs> Same sister. Uh, yeah. So much of what you said, I'm like, yeah, it's true for all relationships and just really a greater lesson for life of the, this desire to control things that yeah. don't have any control over. And our goal here with seed is that like, you don't get to control your kids' experiences. You don't get to control what they're going to go through in life. We just get to support them with a toolbox to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my one-liners is that the most powerful tool that we have for influencing behavior is the relationship that we nurture with our kids. You know, like Absolutely. that, I mean, and I watch, I have a, fa a Facebook group for parents of teens and, you know, I'm looking at the requests and the shares and, you know, I kind of start to feel like a broken record because time and time again, the question is, what does relationship look like right now? What does relationship look like right now? Because, you know, we talk about this whole iceberg metaphor and the behavior that we see at the tip of the iceberg is actually a solution to what's happening underneath. And so if we're continuously like focused and picking at the behavior at the top, you know, we're not, it keeps showing up, right? Just like an iceberg. Oh, really? If we were like literally chopping away at the tip of the iceberg, it keeps coming. <laughs> it just yeah. keeps like coming to the surface. So looking, supporting parents and looking below the surface, um, looking through the lens of what does connection look like? What does mattering look like? You know, are they hungry, angry, lonely, tired? What is brain develop? What's typical brain development? What are some mental health issues that you could be focusing on? What are your self-care practices? How are you showing up? Because so often really loving, wonderful, caring parents don't always realize that they are just adding kindling 
to the fire sometimes with how we respond because it does feel like the stakes are so high. I mean, even me, I mean, definitely me. I, you know, my son is in eighth grade. And like I said, he's the poster child for positive discipline. So, and he's actually told me, listen, mom, I'm just going to do everything like a normal person would do. And I'm like, great, we'll see. And then my daughter, who's 17, has taken a complete and total detour on the narrative that I thought we'd be living. And it wasn't even a like a super crazy intense narrative. It was like, just like normal, like, oh, you'd graduate high school and go to college and go. Like we've had a complete detour from that. And so I get to really notice what that brings up in me and what my assumptions are and what my attachments are and how can I be with her through this particular time in her life so that she can look back and say, I'm so glad that you responded the way you responded. I've learned so much through this, you know, detour and that she's ultimately a functioning adult who knows that she designs her life. Like that's my ultimate goal. And and it's funny because I've said that a lot, like what keeps me up at night? I just want my kids to know that they design their life. And now I have a 17 year old who's designing her life in a way that I'm like, what? What's happening right no, now? When and I said I that to, you design your life, I meant but yeah, I meant later. <laughs> <laughs> I meant later, not now. So yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's good though, but it is I, crazy. I also think it's something that evolves. Like as you were saying, that I was imagining uh, my so I'm one of five, and my husband's an only child. And when we were early in partnership, uh, I remember this like his his dad's shift of seeing him as like the two of them to like, mm-hmm. Oh, Zach's family now is Alyssa and Zach as a nuclear family. And the, it's the triangle is now there's a triangle, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's different. And Alyssa and Zach are, are together in it. And, and I'm on another side of the triangle and him Bowen family systems is like the model for this. But I remember that shift of him, like just seeing Zach, differently and then how it strengthened our whole relationship with yeah. his dad when this adjustment happened where it wasn't this fear of like losing his little boy or having to cling on to his little boy and being able to accept him as an adult in partnership and grow into a new relationship and so I yeah. think like gosh I think that this happens all along I think from like when a baby doesn't need you to feed anymore or need you to pick it up to move it anymore to Mm -hmm. like toddlerhood to the kid that's going off to school and all of a sudden they want to hang out with their friends and not you yeah (laughs) and and like through the teen years I think these evolutions happen all the time in parenthood and I love I'm just I'm so jazzed to dive in with you because I love this premise of just like they're in charge of that journey and the greatest way that we can support them is to be in partnership with them on their journey, not mm-hmm. to try and control their journey. Mm-hmm. And Love believe it. me, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we have some mental, we have mental health stuff happening too. So my yeah. 17 year old is, is extremely anxious um, and she has to navigate depression. And it's, again, it's like being with, you know, the typical teen development plus this extra layer that I don't under, and she's also really introverted. And I am like an extrovert. I loved high school. I loved being a teenager. I have no complaints. 
And so being with her in a way, and I think this is something that parents of teens, we get into mischief around because we've been teenagers. So we have this mistaken idea that we know what they're going through. And I don't. Rowan was raised in a totally different family system than I was raised in. She has a completely different temperament that I have. And, you know, I've never been anxious. I mean, I get nervous, you know, and I feel stress, but anxiety has never kept me from doing what I want to do. And so, nor depression. So it's like the growth, the personal growth and development that I get to experience and step into because I believe cosmically prior to this lifetime, she and I, our souls came together and it was like, okay, we're going to do this together and I'm going to grow the hell out of you, Rowan said. And I said, great. Well, through that, I'm going to show up in a way that's really going to support you um, in navigating the hard things that you bring to me. So, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting that story about your husband and his dad, you know, I'm in therapy, yeah, everybody. Cheers. Same. Yeah. Everybody should be in therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just recently my homework was you have to call your dad because through the challenges that I'm having with my daughter, I've really cut off that my dad and my stepmom because of, because I continue to live in this place of needing validation and, and wanting to be accepted and, and really fearful of getting on the phone with them and hearing them judge me for the choices that I'm making for my daughter. And, you know, I, I finally made the call and it, and he was nothing but supportive and lovely and amazing because he's my dad and forgetting too, that I was a teenager that he worried about, you know, like he went through his self-doubt, he went through his worry. He, you know, and I'm, I'm also one of five in a crazy kind of, you know, family of the seventies and eighties. So I have like a whole brother I've got, a sister through my mom and then a brother and a sister through my dad and my stepmom, but I'm the oldest of this mm -hmm. temple of children <laughs> and <laughs> temple. I don't know why that word came. I like it. I <laughs> but I'm imagining I'm, of course, I'm imagining at the top, <laughs> like a true oldest child. Would yeah, do. that was classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The, I mean, the learning never ends. I was just chatting with a friend over Facebook messenger who was sharing that he was going through a divorce. And, um, you know, I kind of offhandedly made a comment like, you know, yeah, personal growth and development doesn't always happen in a workshop, right? Like life is an opportunity constantly mm -hmm. for personal growth and development if we're willing to see it through that lens. And I'm like all in on that. So yeah, I'm here for it too. Yeah. Um, here for it too. I, Oh my gosh. I'm excited to talk about these questions because I was the kid. Also to preface, I, in my village knows this, but I was raped when I was 14. And so then my teen years were kind of a disaster. I would, it was, I didn't tell people. So it was mm -hmm. just like my secret that I was holding. And there was a lot of coping mechanisms, uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of like, I remember my dad at like, I was maybe 15, 16 years old and he had found a pack of cigarettes of mine. My, I came from a family where like, that's not a, that's not kosher. Um, nobody smoked cigarettes. It was not a thing. It was definitely not a part of the narrative that they had designed. And I was like raging as a teenager and like a straight A student and a scholar athlete and whatever, but like raging emotionally. And he had like told me he found my cigarettes and threw them out. And my response was like, 
oh, I guess it's another like five bucks I got to go spend. Like in no way was I going to not like, yeah. but he didn't yeah. know what else to do. Right. They didn't know yeah. how else to respond other than to be like, yeah. you're not allowed to do this. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. great. I know that. Uh, and then my husband, yeah, thanks. Said, not <laughs> yeah, going right. to stop me. <laughs> yeah. He didn't send me this last time or the time before that. Um, and my husband was like the opposite human who really didn't want to do the wrong thing still to this day. Like perfectionist is so afraid of disappointing anybody mm-hmm. that like would have never gone drinking at a party, like would have never does not want to disappoint anyone. Like we'll follow the rules so that he doesn't disappoint. And uh, like, that's it. We've had like total opposite realms of work and therapy in our own mm-hmm. uh, personal development and growth. Uh, and I'm so curious to hear as we dive into what this looks like in teens and in our response to them, kind of holding space for, again, that behavior that we see on the surface that can be desirable, right? The Zach who doesn't want to go rage at a party. Um, Really, it's not from a place of like, I don't want to go rage. It's from a place of, I don't want to disappoint anybody. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. Because my daughter wants to go to a party. I'm like, please go. (laughs) Oh, there's going to be drinking there? Like, Wait, (laughs) she doesn't leave. Yeah, (laughs) you know she has a boyfriend who's a couple years older than her, and um, he comes up and spends time with us, and he has friends up in the town that we live in that are in college, and she should be a junior. She is not currently in school, and yeah, he was like, she's like, well, I want to go to this Halloween party with Jared. It's a college party, and I said to my husband, I was like, do we? What do we do here? And Ben's like, she wants to go to a party, like yay. I mean, we're not worried about, and just to your point, I was a complete partier, you know, for with, it was a different flavor, right? It wasn't so much a coping mechanism. I mean, I guess if we really dug in at some level, it was, but I I was just party girl Yeah. and same thing. I would sneak out all the time, get caught and get grounded. And the message I, or the, what I thought to myself was I got to get better. Yeah, same out that window. <laughs> same. <laughs> never, never thought about. Wow, that must have been so scary for my parents to know that I had been out all night. Like, oh my gosh, never, never thought about that. So no, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, I got a, uh, I need a better system. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Same. Awesome. Okay, so let's chat about let's chat about like these general questions that kind of came okay. into this. One person said, which I was like, yes, the teen years are triggering because they were hard years for me personally. Mm-hmm. And I asked her to dive in a little deeper on like, if she was open to chatting about what was hard for her personally and what the triggers might be. And she was saying really around like social pressures and anxiety. And she was like, don't we all want to feel like we're a part of the group? Like she was mm-hmm. like, was so focused on this. And I think there is for sure, we're social beings with in group, out group, really driving a lot of our behavior. And so I was like, yeah, totally. And if you are going into this, as with anything, if you are going in with uh, unprocessed emotions, then yeah, it is going to be triggering for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And you will react instead of respond. And so I'd love for you to speak to that a bit. Well, first I want to say, even if you've processed, <laughs> it's, you're still going to be surprised by what shows up. And I think you know, the work that you do with parents, I think the reason that we love each other so much is that our, we're so aligned in how we work with parents, but you get to become ever better at recognizing what's mine, what's theirs, 
where am I coming from? Right. So when you think about like, oh, I have, you know, fears from my own experience. Like I said before, your child is not, there's no possible way that they can have your experience because they haven't, it's not the same family system. It's not the same time in history. Like it's just impossible, right? It's impossible. That being said, you know, the internet is so good at shoving so much fear at us. I mean, we could talk about vaping. We could talk about sexting. We could talk about Snapchat, Instagram, social media. Like there's so many things that I'm thinking, thank God were not available to me as a teenager. <laughs> really? I did not need people taking video <laughs> of my behavior. And this isn't like... Like they were raised in this. And so our experience of these external, quote, new threats are part of the fabric of what is a part of society right now for our kids. So, you know, they're getting so many messages, just like we did about smoking uh, and all the other things. They're getting messages from a really young age about smart phone use and social media and, and bullying and online bullying and vaping blah, 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 blah. and how those things are delivered matters and the relationship that you have with your kids matters right so great example from my experience a couple of years ago um my daughter her freshman year was a complete shit show like she it was like a rogue wave for her and she is real pretty but for a long time under the radar, because she was kind of, you know, the quiet, smart, really nice girl. And then eighth grade rolled around and more and more, you know, she found makeup and fashion, fashion. And all of a sudden she was getting so much attention, which, you know, she's the kind of kid that's like, notice me, don't notice me, you know, like see me. Oh God, now everybody's looking at me, you know? So she's in this conflict. And so high school started and she coping mechanisms for her were meeting up with a circle of girls in the bathroom whenever she could to sit around and pass a, a nicotine vape and two or three um, caffeinated drinks a day. So she would come home in the afternoon and be coming down off of these things and was pissed all the time, you know, and I didn't really know what was going on. And then I kind of caught on to the vaping thing. And then it was just kind of this ongoing, like, if I see it, I'm going to take it. Let me give you a lecture. Let's, you know, like, you know, all the, all the things. Cause it's fear, fear, fear. Plus I'm a former smoker, right? I too came from a family where the message was people that smoke are complete losers and disgusting. And guess what? I became a smoker. So, you know, I thought the most recent vape that I found well, I totally busted her because she had posted something on TikTok and I was messing with my, you know, checking out my son's phone and looked at his. Anyway, I see this thing and I'm like, oh, okay. So I walked into a room and I said, give me your vape. I don't have one. Give me your vape. I don't have one. I know that you do. She picks it up. She hands it to me. I go in my room. My whole body is like tingling and I'm like, what are the words? Like, what do I say? How do I get her to stop? And I all of a sudden had this like wave of like, oh, wait, my parents said all the things. They said all the things and I did it anyway. And I struggled with nicotine. I still struggle with nicotine addiction. Like it's still a thing that pops up for me. Um, and so I went in her room 
And I said, you know what? It is not my responsibility to make sure that you aren't addicted to nicotine. I said, that's on you. I promise you that your future self will not want to be addicted to nicotine, but that energetic responsibility I am releasing to you. I'm still going to intervene, interfere, take away when I see it, but I'm no longer going to hold it as my responsibility. Um, and that it was so freeing for me. Mm. It was so freeing for me. And, and it, and it felt like there was a shift now. Has she engaged in nicotine since then? I'm yeah, for sure. Right. However, what I'm seeing and hearing from her in our relationship is that she really gets like, I'm recognizing what addiction is. She sees her friends struggling to quit. Well, her friends, she sees her boyfriend who's like four days into off of nicotine, you know, and it's just like that example. That's one of those places where, you know, I, we have to let go. And now granted, if my kid was addicted to opioids, I wouldn't be like, here's the energetic responsibility, right? right? I would be like, where's, we're going to rehab, you know, you're going to rehab, I'm going to therapy, you know? And, and so please don't hear me saying like, let them explore all the things and don't worry about it. But this one particular thing, I just was in this constant, when I wasn't confronting her about it, I was cycling through it in my head. Like it was so consuming to me to hold that responsibility and remembering that, you know, this is hers and whether or not she has a, a a battle of addiction to nicotine is not, it's not my responsibility. So I think that we really get to, you know, whether it's that, whether it's grades, you know, and worrying about grace. There's a great book called The Self-Driven Child that I love and would highly recommend everybody read right now and then read it again when your kids are older. Um, But it's all about like handing over responsibility. I just did a show that came out today with Sarah Rosensweet, who's a peaceful parenting coach. And she and I were talking about how important it is to hand it over to our kids because if we care, too much, they don't have to. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. Like we care so much, like I care so much about this nicotine thing that she didn't have to care about it because I was I was the one that was keeping it top of mind. And that's not going to be useful for her because I'm not there all the time as much as I'd like to be. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Levine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Voices. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. I think it's like a hard balance to find, right? Of like it is. making sure they have the tools and not caring for them. And I think it's a, it's a hard Super hard to strike. It reminded me of the book Fear of Failure mm-hmm. by Jessica Leahy. Where no, The Gift of Failure. Or, I'm sorry, The called. Gift of Failure. Yeah, yeah we She's had fantastic. her. She was on the podcast um, in January. She was one of my early interviews. I had just oh, nice. on. I might have had a, no, just once. Yeah, she's brilliant. She, she's And great. it's not, it's not easy. Like I was no. just talking to right. my daughter and her boyfriend today about, um, you know, we're just because of what I do and hold space for communities for parents of teenagers, I get to see that we're all struggling, right? I don't feel isolated. I don't feel like this is my own private freak show because of the work that I do with parents. However, regular people out in the world, you know, who are struggling, it can feel like no one else is navigating this because we don't talk about the hard stuff. Like we don't, say we don't post on Instagram like busted my kid with a vape again well some people do but you know and so it's really um it's really important um to remember and then and I say this to parents all the time too like most of us when asked would agree that what they want is an open relationship where their kids will talk to them and they can work through things but I gotta tell you I have that and it is no picnic. <laughs> totally. It means you're the person they crash to. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, could you get a little sneaky? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. I mean, not, of course, not really, but it's, it's hard to hold space when they come to you with, um, with really challenging behavior and are open about it. So Totally. So often people come into my DMs, they shoot us a message saying, I want to do this work. Like, where do I start? I didn't grow up with these tools and I feel like I'm trying to build them for my kids, but I don't have them. Like I'm losing my cool or my partner and I are on different pages with this jazz. Y'all mama's getaway weekend is the ultimate time to dive into this work. 
We dive into your childhood and patterns and habits that you have developed over the years. We get cozy with showing you how to get to know your subconscious so that you can make conscious choices, so that you aren't just acting based out of old habits and patterns that were ingrained, but instead you can choose how you want to show up in the world, how you want to respond. We support you in navigating parenthood and what this looks like with tiny humans and how to lay a foundation for them where they know it is safe to feel emotions, to express them to you. We want them to have a toolbox for how to cope and process with whatever comes their way in life. We go into what this looks like if you're co-parenting or parenting within a village. What if people are on a different page? What if other people aren't doing this work and you are in this together with them? We dive into all that jazz and we have guest speakers who come and talk about the sensory systems and so much else. I'm so jazzed that we're opening up some tickets for y'all. We moved the date from April to September 26th and 27th. Mama's Getaway has always sold out. So if you want in on this bad boy, head to mamasgetawayweekend.com to join us in San Diego, California in September to build your toolbox and leave with a concrete, tangible plan for how to do this work and put things into place. Y'all, this work changed my life and I know it'll change yours too. Come join us, mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag your ticket. And bonus, for the month of April, you can snag your ticket for just 25% down. You can do a payment plan if it's easier than one lump sum for y'all just for the month of April. So head on over, mamasgetawayweekend.com and snag your ticket today. And I think like back to myself when I'm thinking of like, what does younger Alyssa need? Um, you know, why didn't I tell my parents? What did yeah. I need to be able to feel like they were safe, safe space? And then what did I just need for healing and, and growth? And I needed, I needed to not be in a punishment reward system. I needed to Absolutely. know that like, I didn't do anything wrong to cause this. And when I'm in the punishment reward system, which is what I was raised in, what I think so many of us Me were too. raised in. Yep. It's this idea that like, well, you do something to cause a certain outcome. And so when I'd been raped, it was like, well, I did something to cause that Mm. certain outcome. Right. And so if that's what, so I needed to not be in that. Um, but then ultimately really needed coping strategies. And in our work, this is where we find the biggest gaps, what we found when we were doing the research with teachers with master's degrees in early ed and whatever, still found the biggest gap here that there could be emotion coaching and like validation and even holding space, but not necessarily providing like, and here's how your body processes an emotion. Here are tools that you can tap into so that like Alyssa wasn't like raging and turning to booze or turning to things to regulate so that I could stay afloat. Like I needed coping strategies to be able to process. And- well, yeah. Cause all of your behavior was that tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. and, you know, God bless our parents. They were doing the best they oh could gosh, with the yeah. tools they had. Right. And I think that our generation of parenthood, uh, something that I love is that it's ever more, um, mainstream to be more self-aware. Mm-hmm. Thank God. 
right? I mean, my mom and my dad, they just, it just wasn't on their radar. You know, it was about changing my behavior without, and, and thinking about your experience without somebody saying like, Hmm, this, this stuff doesn't align with who we know you to be. And we're really curious about what's happening with you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And how we can best support you. Yeah. 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 And and I think like the, so I, I'm curious about what teens, and actually when I interviewed that little dude, um, the 11, 12 year old, mm-hmm. uh, what he wanted people to know, the like standout thing for him was he wanted people to know that he feels all these feelings and it's okay for him to feel them. And he wants help sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so key that like, he wants help sometimes, right? Like sometimes he doesn't want to be left alone. He wants someone to say like, yeah, do you need a hug? even though mm-hmm. you're a 12-year-old boy and often we don't think you need a hug mm-hmm. um, or some sort of, it, his mom had provided, um, I had connected with them and done this interview because she had reached out sharing an experience where uh, he'd been disappointed about something and he'd asked to play Minecraft and she was like, no. Uh, and so then he got upset about not being able to play it, whatever. And she asked him, do you want to play Minecraft? Cause it'll help your body feel calm. And he said, yeah. And she was like, great. You can play Minecraft when you're calm. If you need help feeling calm, you could mm-hmm. go climb a tree. You can go for a walk. I'm here for a hug. And then in about 10 minutes or so, when your body's calm, then you can play Minecraft. This so is wise. so good. And it was connecting the coping strategy for him. We're gonna help your body process. Once you're calm, sure. Play. And Zach and I have chatted about like, oh man, what are we going to do like booze wise and things like that and partying. And I know for me, the like, you just can't have a drink till you're 21. Like literally just didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. And and, we don't do that in our house. Okay. (laughs) And I lived in Europe and I was like, oh, this aligns more with me of just like, yeah, we'll teach you how to be around alcohol and consume it responsibly in the same way that we would anything else. Like, yeah. Yeah, you can't lay and watch TV for 24 hours unless you're sick because you got to move your body. And like, yeah, you can't sit here and drink a 24 pack because it's not good for your body. Like yeah. being able to like monitor and teach them to, to regulate that. But I think, uh, this but it's actually- also, and I think I love what you're saying. And yeah. when you find yourself in that place of like, do I let them have a glass of wine? Yeah. Do what I- do I do? Like, it's a whole different ball game and it's, yeah. What has your experience been there? Like how, I guess, how have you navigated it, but not just you personally, like in coaching other parents, what do you, what have you found? Well, I, what I find is, and where I go, I bring it back to the parent and what are their values? I, Mm -hmm. you know, what you said about, we don't drink till we're 21. Like I keep it really real with parents and it's, you know, I don't think anyone has to, allow alcohol or I live in Washington state where weed is, is recreationally legal. I don't think that, that I wouldn't say you should just let them experiment at home. Um, and I wouldn't judge someone who is open to that. Right. I think it's really, really personal. Um, and it's really personal. And when you look at the continuum of substance use, you know, the vast one, it's only one out of 10 kids that end up, you know, addicted. Okay. But the next thing I think to my head is, but what if that's my kid? Right. What if I'm the one in 10? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Positive Discipline for Teenagers is a book written by Jane Nelson and others. Oh, I think it 
it's right here. Oh no, that's not it. Um, and she talks about the continuum of substance use and, you know, the experimental use to the social use, the regular use to the abuse. And I've actually sat down with my kids and read that whole section mm -hmm. out loud to them. And just having, you know, just like you had mentioned to me before we were recording that you'd interviewed Amy Lang. She's a really yeah. good friend of mine. You know, she talks a lot to parents about sex and sexual development. And what, you know, what she says that I think is so important is many, you know, frequent brief conversations. And I think the same is true, whether we're talking about sex or drugs and alcohol or any other kind of risky behavior, frequent conversations, letting our kids know we can handle the conversation. I think when we say things like, you will not be allowed to do this, you can't do this till you're 21, we kind of shut the door and we don't give them any space to be in relationship with us around that. And so they go underground mm -hmm. and some of them go underground successfully or me, some of them don't, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, it's just, it is hard. It's hard. And I don't have great answers for that other than be there, be available, be curious, you know, when your kids show up and are drunk or sick the next day, you know, give yourself time to find your feet and find your own peace in the body so that you can come to your kid and say, your teenager and say, you know, tell me about last night. You know, how are you feeling right now? What did you notice? You know, and just be in that curious, non-judgmental place so that you can one, gather information and two, really create an environment that's open where you're available where you're not going to berate them because I have had a whole shift around the word trust. Mm. I think that some of us parents of teenagers hold the word trust in a, from the context of, I trust you not to do anything stupid. And that is going to backfire because <laughs> they are teenagers, right? And so I've shifted into this place of, I trust that you can learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, like, I love that. Right. It's, and it's like, oh, again, it's like releasing this energetic responsibility that now they have to do everything right. Because the only way we learn to be decision makers, the only way we learn how to make good choices is by making decisions and making choices. And the bad ones are the ones we learn the most from. Absolutely. So. Or even like trusting them to take a risk, right? Like, yeah, I want the kids that don't take any risks, I'm more nervous about. Um, yeah. Well, and I've talked to my son, you know, he's real curious about weed and um, has lots of questions. And he, you know, I've talked to him about, you know, I've first, I've said like, here's the, here's the facts about it. Mm -hmm. Here's what happens. Here's, you know, it's what's, what happened to me when I was in college is you start smoking a lot of weed and you start to get really unmotivated, but you're not connecting the dots. It's not like, oh, I'm so unmotivated. I should stop smoking weed. It's more of like, oh, I don't really care. Not recognizing that that's the effect that ongoing marijuana use has on the brain. And so, and I've also told him like, you don't ever know what you're getting, you know, mm -hmm. as far as how strong something is. So if you do choose to partake, you need to look around at the crowd that you're with. And you need to think to yourself, if this gets weird, are these people going to have my back? 
Are these people going to videotape me and post it to Instagram? Are these, you know, like that's what those, that's what I want my kids to think about is when they do make those risky behaviors, when they are in an environment where people are doing stupid things, I want them to have situational awareness. I want them to be able to assess like, this isn't a smart place for me to lose any of my capabilities. Right. Yeah. I Um, love that. Yeah. yeah. And, and it feels really awkward to have a conversation like that with my 14 year old, you know, it's a lot of like, not that I want you to do this, you know, it's, you're too young to be doing this and here's some things to think about. So totally. Well, and this is what Amy also said in the like sex podcast that we had, she was talking about how like having conversations is not condoning a behavior Yeah, and but not having conversations won't prevent a behavior. <laughs> like, and, and I was like, that's it, babe. Like, let's, uh, yeah, I want to be able to have those. And it, just frankly, like it's awkward so often because if people didn't have them with us, if this hasn't been our, hasn't been our experience, it's right. going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think most times when we have conversations, whether it's like conflict or just hard things, it, you are going to have a physiological response. It's going to feel uncomfortable. And yeah. was it Oprah who was like, if you, or no, it was Brene was like, if you can sit in that discomfort for 30 seconds, the end result is typically worth it. Like, yeah. but you've got yeah. to embrace the discomfort of, yeah, this is going to yeah. be uncomfortable. Uh, and I'm worth really, it. yeah. And I'm, I'm great. I like, I had a pretty wild, some pretty wild years and I'm so grateful Right. Because I feel like, I mean, on one hand, like you're, you know, the gal from your community who wrote in about her, her, her own triggers. Like on one hand, it's easy for me to be like, oh shit, this is what I did. I don't want you to do what I did. But on the other hand, I can come from a really authentic, I don't have to get too spun out about it. Fortunately, I don't have addiction in my, in my bloodline. You know, that wasn't something. And there was you know, something inside of me that never let what I was doing, like take over and consume me. But I mean, whether it was sex or drugs and alcohol, I was doing all the things. And, um, and, and I'm grateful that I can kind of, and my kids, I'm pretty open. I mean, they don't know all the stories, but they know that I was, you know, somebody who experimented. And so they're, they're open and they're real curious and it's less of them being like, well, you don't really know. Cause you never did anything wrong. So, right. you know, totally. And <laughs> I know that really resonates because like, so yeah, my, I mean, my parents like didn't smoke. They never experimented with like drugs in any manner. And so for me, I was just like, oh, they just don't get it. Like was yeah. always my go-to of like, they just don't get it. And I feel like I'm a human who like, I take risks and I'm pretty comfortable taking risks Mm -hmm. and confident in like calculated risk taking. Like for Mm me, never once tried like heroin or any like drugs. It didn't even appeal to me. Like I was like, that risk isn't worth it. But sure, I'll smoke cigarettes as a 15 year old. Like I, yeah, for me, like, and I guess that's my goal for kids again, at any age, they're going to take calculated risk that they're going to know, like, even down to like being vulnerable with somebody Mm -hmm. or sharing something like, sure. And this is, uh, I don't know if this was in the Amy Lang episode or if it was a conversation we just had afterwards, but we were talking about like how with sex, the risk for me, isn't just like the physical part of sex, Mm -hmm. but also 
if that person sleeps with somebody else next weekend at a party, how are you going to feel? Or if that person mm -hmm. leaves this and shares about this experience with mm -hmm. you with other people, how are you going to feel? Mm -hmm. um, and being able to take calculated risk. Yeah. Is this something mm -hmm. that's worth it for me? Um, and those and, were never questions that I asked myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They're not questions I, I asked used, myself either. <laughs> I, I could have used those. I could have used those questions in college. Let me tell you. <laughs> Same babe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're not questions I asked myself either, but I'm like, that's where my head goes now. Of like, not just the physical ramifications, but as we're looking at a world of social media that I didn't grow up with, um, but that now I feel too as an adult, and I think this is part of it for the adults is that we feel some of those ramifications. You can watch somebody post something and get taken down, right? Like call out culture, oh, yeah. all that jazz. There's so much online bullying from adult to adult all the time. Look at our president. Sorry, oh, I hope that doesn't offend no. anyone, but oh my god there's so national much. stage people exactly and but even just like on an instagram post where it's like then mm. there's shame about your parenting choice whatever there's online bullying happening yeah. all the time from adult to adult so of course we're worried about like what does this mean for kids because we have not figured it out as adults and i think that like that's part of the fear is like we haven't fi we don't know what this looks like for us yeah well, and I, but piggybacking on that yeah. as well, I think it's so important. So often our expectations for our teenagers are so inappropriate because we want them to show up a certain way a hundred percent of the time without recognizing like we are, we don't do that. Like we lose our shit. We make mistakes. We engage in coping mechanisms. Like mm -hmm. there's no, and that's something that I really bring to the conversation around parenting teenagers is it's super messy and perfect doesn't exist. Um, totally. Actually so my Instagram post that I just literally put together before I got on this call with you, that'll go live tonight. So is about rupture and repair and that rupture and repair is a, an, an important part of healthy relationship perfection is not is literally what it says yeah. <laughs> like that it, that's it man like we we do believe that we are supposed to be perfect and we're not and so mm -hmm. then i think we get hard on ourselves when we mm -hmm. yelled or reacted or had it whatever and then with the tiny humans or the grown humans we also are like they're supposed to be this idea of perfection man like across the board and I'm not here for it. I want rupture and repair to be way more normalized. Well, and the cool thing about rupture and repair is it's such a powerful opportunity for us to model personal responsibility. Okay. You know, like when we're the ones doing the repair, you know, sometimes I'll have parents be like, oh, I hate the phrase parenting fail. I don't oh, think yeah. we ever fail. <laughs> I think every step and misstep is an opportunity, including when we lose it. And we get to go and model what it looks like to own our behavior and talk about what we're going to do differently the next time we feel that way. And that's a really, like you were talking about um, the work that you do and um, teaching kids about coping strategies. Mm -hmm. Another piece too is um, like help recognizing that, and this is like a step away from that idea that with the right consequence, our kids won't do yeah, that yeah. thing again. As and, and instead throwing that out and looking at it from a place of what are, I love Ross Green's work. So oh, this yeah. comes from him. Like what are the lagging skills, right? And so what do they need 
the next time this comes up, when my son was really young, we had a neighborhood park that had this great big blackberry bush thing that the kids had tunneled. I mean, it was like a cesspool for bad behavior. (laughs) And Ian has always been, he's always run with like kids that are older than him because he looks, he's always looked older and Mm which is, was not exciting to me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but something happened at the park. I can't remember what it was. And he came home and he's has this huge conscience. So he'll come home and be like, mom, I have to tell you something. And so we talked about, he like has gut instinct, you know, Uh and it's really cool. I hope it lasts. Um, and we talked about, okay, so the, so he needed an out, he needed a way Mm -hmm. to leave the situation while still saving face and not being like, my mom said, I can't do this. And so there was a house across the street from the park with a big clock on it. And we just, we figured out that he could look at the, when he got that gut instinct or started to feel like things were kind of weird, look at the clock and say, oh my gosh, I was supposed to be home five minutes ago. Get on his bike, turn and burn, right? No explanation. And that, you know, giving our kids an out because they're going to like, you're, person said like peer pressure and it's scary and it's and it exists right and so helping our kids to navigate it in a way that is you know because so I love adults but you know just walk away is not useful it's also not practical for adults right? Like yeah. you didn't want to call your dad because you were worried about the judgment of your parenting. Yeah we're doing this we're doing this with each other all the time yeah. too. Of like, oh, yeah. I'm worried about how they're going to judge me or I have to show up this certain way, whatever. Yeah. It's obviously happening with kids too. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so helping them have something and we call it having something in your back pocket, right? That one line or something that's easy to remember, even when it comes to like kids not being nice or, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't really had like true bullying, but you know, kids are dicks sometimes. And there's definitely been a few and Ian, and Ian is a really sensitive, I mean, he's big and tall and, you know, but he's like super tender. And so when the boys in his circles have shown up kind of in that more typical jerky, toxic way, because they don't know better, Ian's like, so confounded by it. Right. He's been, we've had periods of times where he's like, I don't understand why they act like that. And I'm like, yeah, I know sucks. And you know, what is one thing that he can remember to say, to shut things down? I love Rosalind Wiseman wrote a book called masterminds and wingmen. And she talks about this. So just like she has another book, queen bees and wannabes, but this other one is for boys. And it's like the hierarchy of Mm -hmm. the boy group. Right. And I've read, and Ian and I have looked at that. We've looked at all the, she has like names for all the roles. And he was able to tell me, oh yeah, this kid's there. This kid's that guy, this kid's that guy. And then the champion is the kid who, you know, doesn't get offended by being called gay, right? Who just lets things roll off, who stands up for others, who's just not going to take the bait. And so whenever I drop him off at school, I'm like, be a champion, babe, you know, and, um, and really most of the time that's, that is how he shows up. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but it's, it's not just an expectation that I have, like we have active conversations about what it looks like. And, and he also is a kid that has he'll practice with me. Like if he has to stand up, he got his ears pierced in fourth grade. 
And he was like, well, I know that Nick's going to make fun of me. And I was like, okay, so let's, let's think about what you could say. And, um, he came up with a hilarious comment, which was, you know, you do cheerleading with your sisters. And I think that's kind of weird, but you do you, you know, like, Hey, we all, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. And then he was so excited and every day he'd come home and he's like, he didn't say anything to me on the bus, you know, but I was like, listen, we all get to do our thing. Right. And we don't need to tear anybody down about it. I mean, his comment might have been a little bit of a backhanded, you know, stinger, but you know, it was, it helped him save face. And, um, and to not like be confrontational, not like be a part of this dance of power, but instead just like, nope, shutting that down, walking away. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Again, I think it's something that like, you have for the rest of your life. Like we were, I have a brother who really pushes every button that I have. We're the closest. Where do you fall? Where do you fall in your birth order? Four. Oh, and it's four boys, one girl. Oh, uh, sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the one that's closest to me in age, I also like when I was raging, I was raging with his friends, like, mm. you know, so there's a lot of stuff there. Um, and he just, oh my gosh, like he knows exactly where that button is. He just will push it nonstop when we're together. And so literally going into the holidays, I'm in the car with Zach and he's like, all right, what you going to do? What's your plan? When Andrew says X, Y, and Z, what, what's your go-to? Like, what are you going to mm-hmm. do? And it's front-loading, it's pre-teaching, right? And like, yeah. I don't think it stops it, with the tiny oh, humans. No. I don't think it stops with the teenagers. I think it, it's constantly, it's setting ourselves up for expectations. Like, okay, yeah. I've learned over and over when we're around each other for the holidays, even though he's 35 years old, he's going to push said buttons um, and then he'll be nice. 
for a little yeah. bit and then that button will get pushed again. Uh, oh, yeah. And so, but, but I kept going into the situation and I said to my therapist actually recently, I was like, I just as a human, like, I don't like to make the same mistake twice. I don't mind making the mistake. I don't want to continue to make the same mistake without adjusting for going mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. And, and the good news is you will keep, it will keep, life will continue to give you the opportunity to make the same mistake. Exactly. And be right. To, Until absolutely. you like, Oh, this is a thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, um, but so with this, like going in, I was like, man, over and over, like Andrew's pushing my buttons. And so then we can preteach and troubleshoot. And I think in general, if we were utilizing pre-teaching and front-loading in partnership, in relationship with our parents, our in-laws, our whatever, like it would be really helpful. I went on vacation last June with my entire family, my extended family for a week. And the very first morning I sat down with my journal, I got up before everyone, sat on the beach, did a little meditating and wrote about how I was going to show up as my evolved 46-year-old self instead of my defensive 16-year-old self. And it made such a huge difference in how I experienced my family. Like I watched things get lobbed at me, looks (laughs) and comments. And I was just like, oh, look at that. That would be so triggering for my 17-year-old self, but I don't have to I get to, and it, and it just changed the whole dynamic. So yes, 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 so yes. Huge. All right. So the last thing I want to touch on here and, and then we'll, I, you've given us so much of your time. Um, <laughs> I right. just looked at my time. I was like, oh shoot, I could do another. I, I know. I could last time too. It's like, oh my it God, did longest time. podcast ever. <laughs> uh, um, so the last thing I do want to talk about here is that anxiety's never been higher in kids. Also, it's never been higher in parents. Um, and so that link shouldn't be shocking for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we're looking at this with teens, uh, a lot of what comes to mind for me is social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are you seeing? What are, what? Well, I mean, anxiety is alive and well at my house. So, mm-hmm. and not, I mean, and it's, I have, my oldest was born anxious. Mm -hmm. You know, she was in the sling on the boob until I had to put her brother in the sling, which she was three. I was like, you you have to get out of the sling now. And so um, it's real. I think that's the biggest thing I would say is that, and I think this, you know, whether we're talking about anxiety or whatever, I, I think that we can do a better job of, of taking our teenagers seriously um, and listening to them and asking permission before we offer feedback or opinion or advice. Um, I think that we get to be the models. I do a lot of, cause we know we live in a new community. So, you know, I'm joining classes and doing things that are new for me. And I'm very, even though I am who I am, I'm super outgoing and like, it's not a problem, but like I went to an, a knitters club that I didn't know anyone. And I was like, oh gosh. And I I did feel like, uh, I'm kind of nervous. I don't really have to go, you know, but I was also really outwardly vocal about like, I feel really nervous. I'm not going to know anyone there. It's going to feel awkward when I walk in, you know, I, I was external in my processing of it so that my kids could hear me. Um, and then I went. So I think that 
we get to model, like look for those opportunities to speak into your own stress and anxiety. Um, and then also to model like how you are coping with it, what your coping strategies are. And also, but, but I think that a really, an even bigger thing, because I think a lot of kids get dismissed by the adults, like it's not that big of a deal. Everybody feels stress and granted, you know, probably the majority of our kids, it's that surface level stress and anxiety. But I think for more than we're willing to admit, it is like serious anxiety. And the more, you know, and, and for my daughter, what she was doing her freshman year was cope, like elementary school, she got it. She was cool. It was a really small, safe environment. She felt comfortable. She had a small circle of girlfriends. And then as things kind of started to take on a life of their own, the end of middle, and then into this huge, she went to a huge high school. She hadn't had to navigate the anxiety that lives inside of her really very much. And so, you know, she was coping, she was using those coping mechanisms and I didn't see it as that. And I just saw it as bad behavior. And so, you know, I, I think we just have to be really patient and we have to be better at listening, right? We just have to be better at listening because you know, teenagers, they're, they're having really real experiences and, um, and their emotions are, are valid. And, you know, even when they look like, oh my God, really, this is a thing. Like you're worried about that. Are you kidding me? I have bills. Like we can go off on all the reasons they shouldn't be worried about something or shouldn't feel stressed or you're fine. Or, you know, like it's so dismissive. And so what happens when we shut up and we just start to listen because sometimes just in the listening, they can calm down. Sometimes after listening, we can, and I love the, I love to say, well, tell me more about that. And because mm -hmm. of my, so this is a caveat because of my relationship with my kids that I've continuously am nurturing, continuously working on that non-judgment neutral way of being, I can say, can you tell me more about that? And more likely than not, they'll, they'll share some more. So if you're listening and you have a teenager and you're like, yeah, I say, tell me more about that. And they don't want to talk to me. Then, then it's not even about that. It's about how to work on relationship so that you can, because we create the space that starts to become toxic. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we're like, we learn something new and we're like, okay, I'm going to try this differently but we haven't done anything to change the toxic space. So our kids are like, are you kidding me? Just because you asked that question, it is not safe here. It is not safe for me to answer authentically. And so really taking a look at that and um, being willing one to own, I'm really good at this. Like, hey, I recognize that you've been trying to tell me about this one thing and I've gotten really judgmental about it and that's mine. And I would love to hear you out and not talk at all. Like, that's a big thing for me to be like, I'm just here to listen and I'm not going to say a word, you know? And my son is like, no, tell me. My daughter's like, thank God, you know, I've been waiting for you to shut up for 17 years. My husband um, who edits this is going to be like, Lucy, could you start this process? <laughs> <laughs> but the fun thing too, is it's really good for our romantic relationships too, our partnerships, like we do so many, so much yeah, budding. And especially for people like you and I, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm a coach and 
I teach parenting and, and really the parenting I teach is more like I teach humaning. We yeah, just package same. it as a parenting program. Same. <laughs> yeah. And so my husband's like, you know what? I don't really want to be positive disciplined right now. So, and I get to own that, right? Yeah. It's all about the space that we create so that we can be in, in a relationship that is influential and there are no guarantees. We can only increase the likelihood of high functioning adults. <laughs> totally. Sorry. I actually like in, in repair of my relationship with my parents in my twenties, I was in therapy throughout my twenties and like, I was, it was heavily focused on that. Um, my desire to repair, I would use the phrase with my mom and, and it has, we, she was also open and receptive when I would use it, which is huge. But I, when, she, when I would share something and she would make it clear that it actually wasn't a space that she was comfortable with me sharing. <laughs> and I would say like, mom, when you start to get nervous when I'm talking about this, or you let me know that that makes you feel sad, it doesn't feel like I can actually talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. And I want to. And when I could point it out, like she started to really regulate and now we have a totally different relationship. Uh, and it took a decade yeah. <laughs> and me hey. initiating and yeah. a lot of consistency and continuing to work on it. But I, I think that that's, I think it is powerful to learn to be able to truly hold that space. Well, and I moved out of my mom's house when I was 15 and in with my dad and then had about 10 years of an estranged relationship with my mom. And now today we are best friends. Like we, and, and that's something that I remember that I want everybody to walk away with as well. Like this period of time, this teenage season is a snapshot of a much bigger tapestry of life. You know, this is, I mean, think about what you and I are talking about, like, oh yeah, when I was a teenager, blah, blah, blah. And, or even like we had to work to repair, like it's so small, it's so insignificant and so significant mm -hmm. at the same time. Right. And, yeah. and I also really want to send the message that, you know, I think it, I wrote a book that is, uh, about just our emotional regulation for parents. And in it, I talk about how my experience parenting my daughter has actually been a catalyst for repairing my relationship with my mom. Mm. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful because I never, you know, I thought, screw her. I'm moving out. I'm an adult now. I don't need her. And like the complete opposite is true. She's been my biggest supporter through all the you know, the last couple of years. And even when I went and just now going to this other thing, um, when my homework was to call my dad, I called him and he didn't answer. And so I left a really long voicemail and I thought, oh, I did my homework. But sure. one of the things I said is, you know, cause I hadn't called him. I hadn't talked to him since October. And I said, I haven't, you know, we've been texting. I'll text him and my stepmom Cause that felt really safe. And I said, I haven't been in touch via phone because I'm, I'm feeling really tender and defensive about what's happening with Rowan. And really all I want from you is acceptance and validation. And I was super vulnerable. And then he called me right back. He had listened to the message and he called me back and I said, did you listen to my whole message? And he said, yeah. He said, I thought it was really amazing. Well, he didn't say amazing, but he mentioned, you know, me 
coming forward and talking about feeling defensive, that that really landed for him. That meant that mattered to him for me to acknowledge that. And the other thing too, is I feel like I am kind of this person in my family of origin that is pushing everybody in their own personal growth because I'm in my own personal growth, right? Like I don't have just surface conversations with my family members, much to their dismay sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes they avoid me because I'm like, I don't, you know, this is who I am. I'm not interested in pretending that, you know, everything's okay. And we can talk smack about the neighbors. Like I'm not into that. Mm -hmm. And so I get to recognize too, that if my daughter and I made an, a soul agreement prior to this life, well, then my dad and I for sure made a soul agreement for this life. And so did my mom and I, and all these different people, you know, are all a part of this much bigger situation that I, my brain just does not have the capacity to truly understand. But when I remember, like, we were all meant to dance in this lifetime, I, I calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I can come to more of a place of like, okay, well then, okay, let's do it. Well, and what I heard from you in that is that you learned how to set up the boundaries to best support your mental health and communicating with them and working on it. Yeah. I think we all are always, but yeah. I think like for, for me, that's a goal as a human, but it's also a goal to give these tiny humans because in the same way that we might grow up and be like, oh gosh, my mom's driving me nuts or she's whatever. Guess, guess what guys yeah. <laughs> they're gonna Boiler. be adults one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah and like how are we treating our in-laws how are we treating our parents how are we whatever if we're saying like oh they don't show up for me the exact way I want them to I'm gonna close that door I'm gonna put up a wall that's what we're modeling too and so I think that's something to be mindful of as we are raising the tiny humans it doesn't mean accepting garbage but I think it does mean putting up a boundary that shows a door to get in rather than a wall yeah, because the period of time for us to be in relationship with our adult children is a lot longer than mm -hmm. the amount of time they spend in our house. So, yeah, yeah, I could so go true. on and on, but I know that you're probably like, okay, no, I, I'm just like, gosh, yeah, I wish we had a billion more hours because uh, <laughs> it's, it's so true. But yeah, it, it this this time is a snapshot. It makes an impact, but it's not uh, beyond repair. So yeah. Uh, awesome. So where can folks connect with you? What you got going on, babe? Yeah. So my website is called joyfulcourage.com. So you can go to joyfulcourage.com and find all of my things. I am a, I coach, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with parents. Love that. I don't tend to work with people who have kids under four because there are other people like you <laughs> who do that, you know, um, but older kids, school age and teens, I'm totally down. Every quarter I put on a mini summit. This last quarter I did um, an adolescent mini summit where I interviewed five experts around adolescent mental health. And again, just having really real raw conversations like we're having today about the reality of, of, what's up. Um, next quarter in April, I'm doing a um, five, another five-day mini summit all around sex, sexuality, relationships. Amy's one of my guests, of course. Oh, nice. And then in the summer, I'm doing a mini summit on um, risky behaviors, so vaping <laughs> and drugs and alcohol and all those things. And then in the fall, we're going to talk about screens and technology. So 
Um, each of my mini summits is followed by my signature program, which is a five-week program called Joyful Courage Academy. And it's for parents of teenagers. It's, um, we talk about, you know, typical teen development through the lens of like, what is individuation? What can we expect? Um, we talk about communication. We talk about setting boundaries. But mostly what we're doing is creating relationship, repairing relationship, nurturing relationship. And then inside of that kind of bigger umbrella, these other pieces are a part of it. And I love the Academy. It's so powerful for parents. Everybody gets so much out of it. It makes a huge impact on the climate of the homes of the parents who participate. So that'll be happening, I think, in May. Um, and then again, we'll have, I'll have one, I think in September, um, I'm not looking at my calendar. So yeah, so I do that That's and awesome. I have a podcast, right? The podcast is called joyful courage. You can listen to it wherever you listen to this podcast. I talk a lot about teens cause I'm in it and I'm pretty open and vulnerable. I always ask permission from my kids. If I can share most of the time they say, yes, there's a few things that are off limits. Um, but I'm really grateful to them. Because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if we don't hear other people talking candidly about their own experiences, we think we're alone. And mm -hmm. so I talk to my kids a lot about what a gift they are to the people that I serve because they are open to me talking about their experiences. Um, yeah, I think that's all. And I have my book, which you can find on Amazon. It's called Joyful Courage, Calming the Drama and Taking Control of Your Parenting Journey. <laughs> oh, I like that, like Audible-esque. Yeah, do you like that? Voice. Yeah, and yeah, it's on Audible too. <laughs> do you and I read it. In I that do. voice? <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's only like, it's so funny too, because it's a short book. <laughs> it's like, it only ended up being four hours of audio. And I was like, oh God, maybe I need to... All the time I can do it and it's four hours. <laughs> four hours. Jeez. So anyway, That's it's a quick good. listen. Helpful. Yeah. Those are awesome. all the places. Sweet. We will link to all of them too in the blog post uh, when this goes live. You are a real treat. Thanks for hanging out with us, Casey. Yes, my pleasure. I love it. I'll come back anytime you want. You come Thanks. back to my We show obviously too. have more to talk about. Yeah, maybe we need to just hang out socially. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.